Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a social distance edition, or not in the same room edition. Our mics, <laughs> our mics are going to sound a little bit different this week, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Aaron had to, you had to get the Rona, didn't you? Hey, you know what? I just decided I wanted to be part of the cool group. I get um, it. No, yes, it, it, we are socially distanced. I'm sitting in my uh, isolation house right now, uh, and Evan is in his own little world, and we're continuing with the podcast because we believe this much in this podcast. So, I will say kudos to you, though, because when I had COVID, we just didn't do an episode that week, but you're you're championing through. You're just, nothing keeps you down. Listen, God, God has been good to me. It sounds so <laughs> cliche, but it's very true. Very, very true. My symptoms are pretty mild, which is good. Um, and I'm well on my way to my, my, whatever, my quarantine days coming to an end. So there you go. I'll be back, back at it soon. Well, uh, well, as always, uh, if you have any questions, we'd love for you to email us at info at grove.church, or you can direct message the Facebook page. Uh, we get those as well. And today we are talking about Paul, the apostle Paul doing a character yes. study of his whole life and what an interesting life that he leads. Um, and then as far as resources go, this week we're using the ESV Study Bible, uh, Reformation Study Bible, The Essence of the New Testament, a survey by Elmer Towns and Ben Gutierrez, The New, Testament's in its, New Testament in Its World by N.T. Wright and Michael F. Bird, and the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary by J.D. Douglas, Meryl C. Tenney, and Moises Silva. So, a lot of good names to say there. Dude, so, there's and then, and, a lot of resources and I'll be honest, this week. You- you threw me for a loop this week because you didn't do your normal opening spiel and then you just jumped into me being isolated. So I had to jump in and then you took over the question line. So it's a little bit already different of a podcast, so hey, no worries. but it'll be a good episode nonetheless. Uh, so to start off, we're just going to go through kind of the, the main chapters, I guess, of Paul's life. So I have them set. Uh, I have them written out here as Saul, the persecutor as kind of the first part Mm-hmm. And then we'll go to Paul the Christian, Paul the missionary. Saul the Christian. Saul, Saul the, the Christian. Christian. That's true. Yep. Paul the missionary, and then Paul the prisoner. So we're gonna, those are kind of the four big chapters of his life. And we'll talk, uh, obviously, at the end about his legacy. Um, it's hard to think of someone not named Jesus who has a bigger a bigger legacy than Paul as far as uh, what we believe today. So That's it'll true. be a good discussion. All right. So Saul was born in Tarsus, which is in modern... Uh, Southeast Turkey. However, even though he was born far away from Israel, he was raised as a devout Jew. In Philippians 3, 4 through 6, he says that, uh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul's essentially there. He's saying, if you think, if you think you can out religious me, you can't as far as his I'm the man. I'm the man. Exactly. Um, And it's important to point out as well, because I I think so much of the ministry of Paul would actually be two Jews who were living far away from Israel Mm -hmm. and then wider to Gentiles. And, And a lot of that is because Paul himself was in fact, a Jew living outside of Israel. Uh, Like we said, Tarsus is in modern day Southeastern Turkey, give or take. So, but even though he lives so close, he, and that's why I think he goes through the whole thing of saying, you know, I was circumcised on the eighth day. What that means is that 
he he did not become a Jew. He was born Jewish. His his family took it very seriously. And then also as he he was just very zealous for the law. And and zeal also just kind of means it means something different to us today than it meant back then. I think to us say when we say zeal, what we mean is being passionate about something. When we say we're zealous about something, that's usually what we're talking about. Uh, but for Paul's context, the idea of zeal was really um, it was really it was, it was about violence, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but you can talk about how in there's a there's a long tradition, or I guess it, you could say Israel has a long history of men using violence to further uh, to further the cause of God. So famously, I can think of the story of Elijah when he calls down fire from heaven. God supplies it. The altar is burned up, and then what happens right after that? Well, he slaughters all the the prophets of Baal. Uh, you can also look at in the intertestamental period, uh, the Maccabees would great would be a great example mm-hmm. where what they do, and and we know that these guys are heroes of uh, particularly the Pharisees, but to many of the Jewish people as well. They went out and they they started a war because of how they didn't approve of the ways that the Greeks were forcing the Jews to live, and then finally, I can think of the example of Simon the Zealot who is one of Jesus' disciples. This is probably what it's referring to. So when it says Simon the Zealot, it doesn't just mean that Simon didn't like the Romans because that was probably all the disciples, except maybe Matthew. Um, (laughs) But what it it means is that he was probably engaging in violence against the Romans, and then Jesus called him into the ministry. So when Paul says, as for zeal, a persecutor of the church, that's what he means, that he was a very, he was, he wasn't, I guess he was, he wasn't your garden variety Jew. He was very dedicated to these things. And we get that idea from him. Yeah. And I think even with, I mean, this, this phrase in this and in, in passage in Philippians, it's easy to, to read that in its own context and immediately assume Paul was a pretty arrogant, pompous person. Um, and before Christ, he absolutely was like, there's not, <laughs> uh, it's not like you walk around, was walking around with this humility. He was actually very much confident but also arrogant in his approach and style of leadership as as a zealous jew and so um it, you get this aura now this passage in philippians paul's converted to christianity so it's actually not a very prideful statement he's just he's making an argument and a pitch based upon his outward uh outward standing before christ and so but it is like the, he was he would walk around i mean the, the death of benjamin um was it benjamin no Stephen. sorry Stephen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you, but you see this, this aura and this uh, elevated leadership and influence that he has in the Jewish world. So, yeah. Well, and speaking of Stephen, that's actually what I was going to bring up next is that that's the first thing we ever see of Paul. So Mm -hmm. most of his early life, we're just inferring. So we know he's born in in Tarsus because he's called Saul of Tarsus. And then we know that he's uh, a dedicated Jew because of the things that he talks about later in life um, and also I mean, yeah, I guess it's mostly it. the things that he talked about later in life. But the first time we see Paul, the first time he enters into the narrative, uh, his name is Saul at this point. And at the tail end of Acts chapter 7, and then in chapter 8, it says this. Uh, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him, that this is Stephen, not Saul. Yeah. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul approved of his execution. 
And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So this is, this is the life that Saul is living up, up until the moment we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Yep. It's, it, it really is just incredible that I, I, you've, you've heard it said probably many times, but I think we skip over it still in our minds that, that God would use one of the worst persecutors of the church, of the early church, to further the mission. Um, yeah, right. I think Paul's legacy of going from a, a, tr- a true enemy of Christ uh, to being one of his most devoted followers, I think is an incredible thing that we we definitely should not just gloss over. Yeah, I agree. So while Saul's doing all of this, uh, God decides to change the course of his life is what we just referenced. Uh, and so in Acts chapter nine, verses one through nine, it says this. And so Saul is on his way to Damascus. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that he, if he found any belonging to the way, um, and that's what they called Christians back then. Uh, and I guess as a quick pause, um, it is important when we read the New Testament to realize that after Jesus ascends, it's not like there's this new religion called Christianity and then people are converting from Judaism to Christianity. Like that idea is, is it, it comes in much later. The early Christians considered themselves Jews, but they, they, yeah. they considered Jesus to be the Messiah. And so it never even occurred to them that this is a new religion. This is simply the fulfillment of the religion that they've been in their whole lives. Um, and we really, we really don't get this idea of Christianity as being its own separate thing from Judaism until, until much later in history. Um, anyway, just a quick sidebar on that. Uh, but if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So incredible moment happens to Saul. Um, And I love the way that N.T. Wright talks about it in the the New Testament, the world, in in, in its world, which is one of the, the books we're referencing. But it's such a clear moment of after this happens... Paul is never the same. And, and it's not really, it's not really a ramp up either to, it's almost as if all of the, um, all of the passion that he had to defend Judaism from this new, what he saw, this new heretical cult, it didn't get diminished. It just all got transferred over to telling people about Jesus. And so Paul's mm-hmm. passion remains the same. I would say his zeal doesn't because he's not doing it. He doesn't do violence anymore, uh, but he's, he's just as passionate about immediately telling people about Jesus. And we, yeah. And we, yeah, and we see his sight be restored. And that's kind of immediately what he starts doing is he just starts going into the synagogues and telling people that he met Jesus 
the, he's the Messiah, all these different things. So a really incredible turnaround. Well, and there's even just different moments and that you, we hear in different, I can't remember one of them. Um, I can't remember exactly where it is, but just even Saul has this stance where he's like, listen, I presumed to know nothing among you, but Christ and him crucified. And so everything that he's known about uh, the, the Jewish faith and, and Christianity to the, to a degree, he, he just kind of left it all the wayside. So what he would go into the synagogues is he would go and talking about Christ and Christ alone. He wouldn't talk about um, the, the, the certain expectations or traditions. He'd talk about how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything, uh, right. which is a pretty big shift. It's, it's coming from a religious leader that this is the way um, to, nope, this isn't the way. The way is Christ. And, and that's, that's a big, big change. Um, where he even, I mean, Paul makes that statement to the disciples, like, I presume to know nothing. And so he took on that posture of humility uh, because of the experience of Christ and encounter of Christ. It's now this hum- humble approach to, I'm not going to teach you. I'm going to learn from you regarding the disciples and those close followers of Christ. Then as he continued to learn and grow and, to, and understand the, the fulfillment of Jesus in that regard, you then begin to see him released. I can't remember what it was. And I think it, um, but there was a certain period of time. I wish I remembered what it was out of the book of Acts when I was studying it a while ago. Um, but there was a, a several years where, where Paul did not, um, did not take a prominent leadership position, but was actually one in, in a posture of humility and submission um, to Peter and the disciples. Um, but well, and I, yeah, because that, that it's good good segue because that's actually what I was just about to talk about. But we we oftentimes when we talk about the story of Paul, it kind of goes as this happens at Damascus, and then he he preaches in the synagogues, and then he goes on his missionary journeys. Um, but in reality, it's about ten years between yeah. when this moment happens. And that's not to say that Paul isn't, isn't preaching and telling people about what he's, he's heard, but his, like you, like, I, I love the way you say it, his prominent ministry leadership role does not begin for a long time. So he yeah. spends about 10 years in, I think just in Tarsus by itself. Yeah. He didn't going around. Uh, I don't bit. know if it was Tarsus or, or Damascus, but it legitimately was, he just sat in, in that second seat, so to speak, just to learn um, for that period of time. And, and I don't remember exactly where it was either, but. Well, and you see it have in acts too, because it's interesting that he gets his sight back and he begins to speak a little bit and then he drops out of the story for a while. So then it, it follows Peter and John. Um, it talks about James a little bit too. And then Paul reappears a few chapters later. So that, that really is the, the big passage of time. Um, and then it's interesting because N.T. Wright refers to this as the tunnel period. So we, we don't, and that's funny. Yeah. We don't get a lot of, we don't get a lot of details about it. It's almost as if like, you know, if you're on the phone with Paul, he jumps into a tunnel, you lose signal for a little bit. And then on the other side, he goes, starts going on missionary journeys. So we don't get a ton of info about what happened, but like you said, it was uh, definitely a, a humility of learning under the, the disciples. But after, uh, after all of this happens, he gets paired up with Barnabas, who's, uh, who's a cool guy. Everyone loves Hello. Barnabas. I forgot. It, wasn't he called the encourager? Is that yeah, who? Barnabas is the, like the son of encouragement. Yeah, what a, what a guy. So Paul, uh, What a Paul, title to be attached to his name. That's true. It's Everybody better, needs a Barnabas. It's better than uh, Sons of Thunder. I guess sound-wise, Sons, I don't of know, Th- man. Sons of Thunder sounds really cool, but it was definitely more of a derogatory nickname. That's true. Uh, so Paul's missionary work 
I was, it's funny because I was, I was debating about when you just go into legacy and not that this really matters, but is Paul's greater legacy, his missionary work, or is it his writings? And I think there actually is some debate because my, my first thought was obviously it's his writings because we still have those today, but his missionary work really did kickstart this idea that no, Jesus is for everyone. And that, mm-hmm. and that was known from the beginning, but there wasn't a lot of ministry evangelism happening to the Gentile world until Paul. There's a few, like you get the story of Philip and the centurion and uh, some of the other disciples are kind of starting to make a little bit of inroads, but Paul is really the one who kickstarts going to major cities, speaking in the synagogues, but then also just speaking to the people. Uh, But in in their first missionary journey, it's Paul and Barnabas. Uh, They're going, it's going to be awesome. They also take John Mark with them. Uh, This is the same Mark who wrote the gospel. So if you've Mm -hmm. ever wondered where that guy comes from, that's what it is. Uh, And also this is going to come up later. So we'll talk about it a little bit, but it's important to know that Mark is with them during this whole deal. Uh, The first journey consisted of cities in modern day Southern Turkey and Cyprus, which is an island. If you look at a map and you see Turkey, if you look at Southern Turkey, there's a little island right there. That's Cyprus. Um, Today I found out it's ruled by like a bunch of different countries. So not that that matters at all for this, but I was huh. just looking. I was looking at the map, and I was like, "Yeah, oh, what's what's Great Britain doing there, Turkey?" And then there's like an independent <laughs> Cyprus thing. So it's like fun, fun to know. Uh, anyway, but again, completely pointless for what we're talking about today. <laughs> uh, and it's during this journey that Saul actually begins to be known as Paul. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's funny too because this this name change is. It's very unlike the other name changes that we get in the Bible. So, for instance, you get Jacob to Israel, which is this seminal moment in his life where he wrestles with God and is given a new name. You get uh, Simon to Peter, where Jesus gives him this name. He says, this is what you're going to be known by from now on. Uh, from From the book of Acts, essentially the vibe that we get is that this wasn't an external thing. It's just... Saul decided to start going by Paul and Paul would have been his Roman name. Uh, So I I forgot, I I should have written it down, but there was actually what his name probably was. And then the last part of it is Paulus, which is is kind of your last name. And then in Rome, that's what, that's what you would go by most often when people saw you in the street, they wouldn't call you by your first name. They call you by your last name. And so I, I tend to interpret it as, to be a better witness to the Gentiles outside of Israel. He's just kind of going by his Roman name. So it's a little bit more, uh, it's a little bit easier. That's, that's just pure conjecture. It's very open-handed, but it happens. It happens on Cyprus. It's a very out of the way reference where Acts just goes. And then Saul, who was also called Paul. And then he starts calling him Paul after that. Listen, let's just chalk it up to midlife crisis. There you go. I'm just kidding. So bad. Are you going to change your name to like, I don't know. I was trying to think of a name, but I can't. Listen, I'm not 40 yet, okay? I don't have to worry about that. Well, I who says you have to be 40 to have a midlife crisis, Aaron? Because it it's be, midlife. That's midlife. Midlife can happen anytime. That's, nope. No? <laughs> All right. No. Nope. Uh, so after their first journey together, uh, Paul and Barnabas actually split up. Uh, so they have a disagreement over whether or not to include John Mark in their next journey. So in Acts 15, 36 to 41, it says this. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had gone and not gone with them to the work. 
And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So there you go. Paul and Barnabas, they're done. It's it's interesting, too, because it's 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 not an amicable split. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times like, well, we disagree about this, but, you know, go in faith, brother. Like It, it really seems like they've had a big fight that kind of severed the relationship for a little bit. Um, I tend to think of Barnabas being right here. Not that it really matters, I suppose, in the long run. But I think given the future ministry of Mark and what he means for us today, I think Barnabas was probably right to give him another chance and to show a little bit of grace in that, in that section as well. So, yeah, it's totally interesting. I mean, it's, it's, there was a very heated disagreement and, and that's why like, I would agree with you or wasn't a, an amicable, like, okay, yeah, let's just agree to disagree and go separate ways. But it was like, <clears throat> it was a very staunch disagreement where Paul was very upset that John Mark didn't want to go do ministry. And I believe the context there is that John Mark wanted to go back home to his hometown. Um, I believe that's returns, what it was. He returns to Jerusalem, I believe. And, and Paul was like, there's work to be done. And, and this, is, this shows you the, the righteous zeal, I guess is what we can call it, his passion um, to, to not just proselytize, but plant churches and, and reach peoples who don't know Christ or the truth of Jesus. And, um, and there was this massive tension that created. And so um, Barnabas, and I don't remember, Evan, maybe you do, um, Barnabas and John Mark, are they related or no? Um, there's some sort of relation there. Yeah. It's whether cousins or something like that. I I think that's kind of what it was, but so there is this like Barnabas like, well, no, like, and you got to remember Barnabas is that son of encouragement. So he's most likely seeing the positive side of things like, Hey, let's give him a second chance. Like I, I I know him well enough to know he wouldn't just done that for any other reason besides a good one. And, um, and so the beauty of this disagreement though, just to be, I mean, transparent is you see the ability of the churches to be strengthened in, in a more exponential way, because now you take one missionary duo and you break it down and you see two missionary duos going two separate ways to continue to strengthen it and build up the church too. So oh, um, snap. that's fun to, and you know, that's, that's just in hindsight, you see God's provision and providence in that, but there was this disagreement and, you know, Paul was not the easiest guy always to be around. Um, he very, he had very high standards and draw, drew very hard lines too. So yeah, no, great, great points. Um, so to, to kind of continue on here, Paul and Silas depart for their second missionary journey. Uh, this one is actually, it expands past a little bit. So if you're imagining going from Israel, the first missionary journey goes north to southern Turkey and just kind of hangs out in that area. The second missionary journey goes there as well. Uh, but then they jump over to the Aegean Sea, which is the sea that separates Greece and Turkey. So if you're thinking through uh, the modern lens, that's where they're going. But this is where uh, Paul would establish churches, and some of these are going to sound really familiar, but it, among other places, but he establishes them in Philippi, which he's going to write a famous letter to, Thessalonica, which he'll write two letters to, Athens, with no letters, but a really cool speech that we'll get to in a little bit here, uh, <laughs> Corinth, which gets two letters, and Ephesus, which also gets a letter. So all of these churches are planted during this second missionary journey, and a lot of these churches, they last for a long time. Like Ephesus is in the book of mm-hmm. Revelation about uh, they're not doing too hot at the time, but they're, they're there. So it's kind of an interesting uh, thing to look at. And it was on this journey that 
Paul would make his famous speech at the Areopagus, um, also known as Mars Hill. So I like Areopagus because it sounds way cooler, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> you know, Mars Hill just sounds like a, like a candy bar almost, but what are you going to do? Uh, but at this place, this is where it says, uh, so Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed object, objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind breath and life and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for indeed we are his offspring. So there's a couple a couple important points about Paul's ministry that I want to make here with his speech. Number one, He's not speaking in a synagogue here, which I think is important. And a lot of the early mm -hmm. ministry of the, and this, and it's not a bad thing, um, but a lot of the early ministry of the apostles was going into synagogues and telling the Jews there, I've met the Messiah. I, here's who he is. Here's what to do now. Well, Paul's ministry here is just as important as telling, as he's telling people about Jesus, but because they're not Jews, you know, they, this idea that he's the Messiah doesn't really matter to them. They're, they haven't been living their life in anticipation of this coming Messiah. And so that's the second thing I want to bring up is you see how he changes, he changes the way that he speaks depending on his audience, which I think is a very important legacy of Paul. Mm -hmm. um, I, forgot what, I forgot what letter it is, but he says something along the lines of um, I have become all things to all people. And in this, we see a great example where he, he even takes the, um, the poetry of Athens. And he says, here's how your traditions point to who God truly is. And with this idea of you, you're worshiping a God called the unknown God. Well, let me tell you about him because I know who this unknown God is. Like it's, it's a really incredible way that Paul contextualizes the gospel. And we do that today as well. Uh, most of the, most of modern American Christian ministry is not centered around showing people that Jesus is the Messiah because people growing up in the United States who aren't going to church also aren't living their lives wanting to find out who the Messiah is. Um, but we contextualize it here. And so we see Paul doing that. Um, and I think it's a really important thing to keep in mind. Yeah. And I would agree. And I think that that is, you know, that's, that is the beauty of, of not just his letters, but this, this speech or message or whatever specifically, um, <clears throat> It's just how aware he was of, of the environment he was going into. Um, if you ever take like a speech class or even if you go into ministry, if you're listening to this and uh, one of the things they teach you is just know your audience and, and be able to speak relevantly to where your audience is at um, to where you can inject the truth of the, of the gospel into, into those conversations. And that's, and that's exactly what Paul does, um, which is so brilliant the way that he handles it. And he doesn't speak with, <clears throat> with these charismatic words he speaks with very intentional words um that that that's what paul does well and i mean you see it in his writings but in this i, I love this this message better because i think it, you see it even more 
practically in the moment. So uh, it's a really, really good picture of who Paul was uh, as an advocate for the gospel. Yep. And now to, to get into our, our final section, we'll call this Paul the prisoner. But Paul would go on a third missionary journey. And this is kind of mostly just revisiting churches that he had already planted, encouraging them. And he would end up in Jerusalem. And he actually intentionally goes to Jerusalem. And there's one scene that I love where I forgot what city he stops in. But the the elders of the church basically tell him, well, we had this vision that if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to die. And Paul's like, yeah, I, I know. And he just keeps going like he's like he's fully aware um, that what he's doing is going to ultimately lead lead him down the road of imprisonment and death. But he goes he goes willingly, which I think is a huge testament to uh, the man that Paul was. So he would eventually he goes there. um, There's kind of this point where a lot of the Jews in Jerusalem were accusing Paul of saying that um, essentially Jews should not follow any part of the law anymore. And so Paul goes to the temple to show them, no, I I can still follow the law. What he's saying is that the Gentiles are not necessarily obligated to it as well. Uh, Eventually, this leads to his arrest by the Sanhedrin. uh, And he gets arrested. He's tried. And he actually declares his Roman citizenship here. So he he gets sent to Rome. But not before, and I love this, not before declaring the gospel of Christ to the Roman governor in the region, uh, whose name Mm -hmm. I believe was Felix. I forgot to write it down. Felix, yep. There you go. Um, I, I love that. Uh, um, there's a there's a line in there that I think is it's really funny that we skip over. But he he says to Felix, you know, I would I would have that all of you would be like me, essentially meaning that that you would be saved by Christ and know Him personally. But then he goes, except for these chains, and he lifts up the chains that he's in. So I think it was a good. It's a little bit of gallows humor, I suppose, from Paul. But I think that's a. That's a great thing to say there. What I think, but I think that shows even the the bigger picture mindset that Paul had. The chains were not, they were an inconvenience to him. They were not, you know, a problem for him. He didn't throw a fit about being in prison. He, he was thankful and understanding that God uses everything and every part of where he's been, the, the influence that he's been given. I think that that that's indicative of Paul's journey is recognizing wherever I go, God is with me and God has a reason for me to be there. Um, which is something I think today, we can glean from. And if we would stop and consider um, what that means, um, I think is a big, big deal too. Yeah. Not to, um, not to plug the blog post that I wrote, but to plug the blog post that I wrote, I think we have this uh, so, so often we treat pain and suffering as something that we need to run away from or fix as fast as possible. And I think there you're saying that Paul is um, he's actually running towards suffering. And the, and the reason he's doing it is because more than anything else, he wants God to be glorified. And yeah. so if God will be glorified through the suffering that he will experience, then he's more than willing to go to Jerusalem. But Well, and I think Paul, Paul's even attitude was like, I, I want to I know the power of his resurrection and his sufferings. And, and so Paul had a greater picture and understanding suffering than I think modern day Christians, absolutely. I think than modern Christians, but um, the reality of, of suffering and, and how it Paul wanted to follow in step with Christ. Um, and he even, he confessed, I want to know like the power of his resurrection and, and the, I think it was like the reality of his sufferings. Um, so Paul was walking that journey very, very, very diligently. 
but it also gave them a much bigger perspective on suffering and in, in, in what, what it entails and what it can lead to in the midst of facing it. So, um, so I think there was almost this willingness to God, wherever, whatever, wherever it leads me, I'm willing to go. Um, and I don't remember who the prophet was, the prophet that the same conversation you were bringing up about, um, if you go there, you're going to die, tied him up, t- took his belt off and tied Paul, you know, hogtied himself. Right. Um, the, hog, the prophet hogtied himself and said, whoever wears this belt, if you go forward, this is what you're going to end up. You're going to be tied up and carried away. And, and Paul's like, yeah, I know. Give me back my belt. Let's go. Like, <laughs> uh, he, Paul just understood like where God is calling me. It doesn't matter the circumstances I face, but God is calling me. I have to go. I can't say no to this. Um, and that's, I mean, that's not an American idea. An American idea is like, eh, God can't be calling me to that because it's uncomfortable. So, right. Anyway, I, I will say that Paul reacted a lot better than when I had a prophet remove my belt and tie me up with it. So I was just like, dude, this is weird. Give me back my yeah, belt. Yeah, you slapped me for some reason. I don't know why you slapped me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyway, so Paul, uh, he, he's, he goes to Rome. So they tell him, you well, obviously, if you're a Roman citizen, you have the right to go to Rome and be tried there. So while he's on his way, he actually shipwrecks on the island of Malta, which is another one of those really famous stories of Paul, even though it's kind of just an aside in the narrative. Um, like you could, you could re- Luke could have left it out of Acts and it wouldn't really have affected anything. But I love that he includes it because it yeah. shows, I, it shows just how much Paul, he can't help preaching the gospel anywhere he goes. He cannot help tell, telling people about Jesus in the best way. Uh, so he, he goes to Malta and he's just like, well, as long as I'm here, let's, let's talk about this. Uh, and he, he even gets, uh, he gets bitten by a, a venomous snake and everyone thinks he's going to die. And they're amazed at the next morning when they find him and he's alive and they even start to worship him as God. And he goes like, no, no, yep. no, that, that's not what this is about. Um, yeah. You just, you see a humility there as well. And just this, this passion that Paul has his entire life about making sure that people know who Jesus is. Yeah. So Paul finally gets to Rome and he would be under house arrest there um, on and off for about seven years. Um, There is a period where it seems like he's let, he's set free for a little bit and then he ends up back under house arrest towards the end of his life. Uh, But we don't know exactly when those things take place, but it's during this time that he writes um, a lot of his more famous letters. So you have the letter to the Colossians, the, to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, and then his personal letters, which are some of my favorite of the writings of Paul, which are both of his letters to Timothy and then his letters to Titus and Philemon. And we see, it's funny because his letters to Timothy and Titus are really, as a pastor mentor, to those he has mentored and to Timothy, it really is almost his father son relationship, especially in second Timothy. I think yeah. it's really beautiful where it second Timothy is probably written months before Paul dies. And so he's getting to the point where he realizes that this is coming. And so it's almost kind of the last words of a father to his son. So you, you see this, this really tender side of Paul that I think is just a beautiful picture. And then his letter to Philemon, which is really about how um, Philemon's slave named Onesimus had run away and had actually been serving with Paul. And uh, Onesimus was under the conviction that he needed to go back to, to Philemon. And so Paul wrote him this letter. And it's his beautiful letter about how Philemon should receive him not as his slave, but as a brother in Christ. 
and essentially this idea that in in Christ there's not these class distinctions that we that we focus so much of so focus so much on in our world so all of those are written uh during this latter portion of Paul's life. And then his fate is not actually recorded in the book of Acts. Um, so what we know of happening to Paul, history tells us and church tradition tells us, but it's not actually biblically recorded. Um, but it seems that he was executed by the Roman emperor Nero, which if you know Nero, um, I don't know if he's the worst Roman emperor, but he's he's up there. He's up there. I mean, he's, I mean, Caligula is probably worse, but that's probably it as well. And then, and then it goes Nero right after that. Uh, but our best guess is late 66 to early 67 is when he was executed. Um, and right around the same time as Peter. So give her again, give or take a little bit, but it seems like Peter and Paul probably both uh, were executed in the same round of persecution. And this would be right after the, the great fires that took place that were famously, mm-hmm. it talks about how Nero, uh, Nero sang while Rome burned. So there you go. That is the life of Paul. Yes. Uh, obviously not everything that can be said about Paul because this podcast is only, uh, you know, I don't know how long we're recording right now, but we, we don't, we don't have 12 hours to really talk through like all of the aspects of, of Paul's life, but uh, hopefully that's a great overview and then as far as his legacy goes, just to discuss this for a little bit, I think I already said it, but I, I think really his biggest legacy that he he leaves is something that we take for granted, but just the idea that Christianity is for everyone. And and Paul yeah. was really the the champion of the Gentiles when he was in ministry, which I think is a really powerful thing, given that um, well, me and Aaron are both Gentiles. So, and most, I would imagine most people How listening to this. How dare you? I'm just dare. kidding. I'd imagine most people listening to this are probably Gentiles. So the, the faith that we have, obviously, um, I don't want to make it sound like it's more important than Jesus or anything like that. Like, like Jesus is the most important thing, uh, but we can trace back a lot of our legacy of faith to the ministry of Paul. So I think it's a, yeah. it's a really cool thing to think about. Aaron, I don't know if you have... Anything to add on that point or not? Uh, no, I was just, I was just thinking, um, like Paul is one of the most influential people of the new Testament. Um, and, and not just because of his writings, but because of, because of his story. And I think, um, he took a very hard, God took a very hard, you know, hard nosed, hard focused individual regarding the traditional way of faith in the Jewish culture. Um, and, and interjected the gospel and it transformed everything. I think, um, I think there's something to be said about that passion should, should inspire and and be a little contagious for us as Christians to recognize that the gospel is for everyone and that it's worth pursuing and looking for every opportunity to, to interject faith in, in Christ um, in the midst of it and in the midst of everything we face. And, and I think as an, as you know, and this is, this is probably me getting a little bit more, I don't know, preachy and whatever, but I think as American Christians, um, we would do ourselves well to spend more time reviewing the heart of Paul, reviewing the reality of Paul, because it all anchors back to Christ. It all hinges on that Damascus Road experience because he was committed to persecuting Christians. He was committed to um, dragging them out of towns, as we already read. And the moment he recognized who Christ was, it, it changed the entire trajectory of his life um, and the entire mission of his life where he gave up everything for it. And 
Yep. Um, and I think it's important to realize that as Christians, like especially American Christians, that we we have in our at our disposal at the luxury of Paul's writings and and Paul's testimony is really what it is um, into his encounter with Christ. And we we would do ourselves well to to spend a little bit more time reflecting on on Paul's encounter with Jesus and 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 not compare. I want to be careful with that word, but consider how our our experience with Christ um, sees some similarities, but also has some disparity. Because I think in America we we have a tendency to want comfortable, easy things, and the gospel does not encourage that. So. Well, I guess one thing, it's funny while you were thinking about it, when you said that you were going to get um, pastry with it, I was like, oh, he's going to make this <laughs> this point. But I think I think another thing to keep in mind with Paul is um, if his great legacy is that the gospel is for everyone. And a lot of people, when he was going out and ministering to the Gentiles, were very much against it. Um, I think it would be important for all of us to search our hearts. Well, where in my life do I not believe that? Like mm-hmm. who, who have I written off that? Well, you know, Jesus isn't for them. Um, and it, it, it might, it's probably not a racial thing, although it could be. And that's something to switch yeah. your heart with as well. But I think even just the idea of who are the people that you kind of think of as, well, they're just too far gone or our first response when we hear of certain types of sin or the things that people have done, isn't um, God's grace, but it's this idea of, Oh man, well, Thank goodness I'm not them. Um, I love that Paul, just like Jesus, ministered to a lot of people that raised eyebrows from the crowd. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, with that being said, we're going to jump into our Q&A portion for today. Uh, But before we do, just want to remind everyone to please leave a review. It really helps uh, get the podcast out there to more people and continue to grow. I don't want to say audience. It really is just kind of our community of people who are reading the Bible together. Um, I love that we get to do this. And so please leave a five-star review on whatever app you're listening to. It really does help us out. And then we got a question this week uh, from our dear listener. And he says, uh, hi, Evan. He's just, this is just to me, Aaron. So don't answer this question. I'm not answering at all. I'm actually going to remain silent at this point. Uh, Let's read the Bible question slash musing. When he talked about the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin recently, if I remember correctly, aside from referencing Paul, your podcast stopped at the end of the gospels. So question, how significant to the early Christian movement were the priests? Uh, Gamaliel in Acts 5 is obvious, and he's the unsung hero who says, yeah, but maybe we shouldn't do anything to Peter and John, because if they're from God, we're going to look very silly, uh, like that Caiaphas character, which I I just love the way that's put. Basically, like, hey, you know, guys, maybe we should uh, let God take care of this instead of us trying to take care of it. Uh, But I have read Acts 6 numerous times and clearly skipped over the end of verse 7 every time. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The real question is this, did this help, or was this part of the hindrance that Paul bemoaned in some of his epistles? Okay, so long question. I thought a really great one, because I had never thought of this before, but what is the what was the role of priests who converted over to 
I, I guess we'll call it the way, or to make it easier, we can just call it Christianity. But again, mm-hmm. recognize that that's not necessarily how they viewed it at that time. Um, so the first answer would just be this. Uh, we don't get very much to go on beyond the verse that you mentioned. So it's not like there's this idea of, and here's exactly what happened to those priests uh, that converted over. All we know is that there's a good chunk of them that did. Yeah. So at this point, me and Aaron are kind of just left to conjecture a little bit. So don't take any of this as this is for sure the truth. It's more of just kind of what we think. So there, there doesn't seem to be many higher ups in the priesthood who converted over. Um, although there's certainly some. Uh, so examples would be, although we don't know if they're priests, we just know that they're members of the Sanhedrin. But Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea are disciples of Christ uh, who may have been priests. I don't really know uh, one way or the other. And uh, Gamaliel seems like, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that guy in heaven. Like, you know what I mean? So it, do- <laughs> it doesn't say what he did after making that speech, but that's, that sounds like the words spoken by someone who's starting to realize that, you know, I think, I think maybe Jesus is who he said he was. Um, And I think the other thing that kind of complicates this a little bit is because under the new covenant, there is not the need for a priest to go between God and man. The priest who converted over to the way would not have continued being priests in that sense. So I think that's a hard part of, sorry, that's a hard part of looking at it because a lot of the priests would come over, but it's not like, well, now these are our priests. Like, well, no, they're just Christians now. They're, they're followers Mm -hmm. of Jesus. Yeah. uh, But they don't necessarily have the same title and rank that they would have had beforehand. So in that sense, it's really hard because a lot of the people who are referenced as brothers in Christ throughout Acts probably were priests but they're not really distinguished from the rest of the believers. So yeah. probably not a very satisfactory answer, but those, those are my thoughts. Aaron, I don't know no, I, I think you're right. I think it's hard to, it's hard to determine who was a priest that converted to Christianity and, or who was a priest that rejected Christianity. I think you have moments where you see, as you learn more about the authors and the people and the characters from the, the, the new Testament specifically, because James, I mean, the the brother of Jesus, he was he was heavily involved in the. In, I mean, he was a leader of the the greater church at large in Jerusalem, the greater Jerusalem church. So, um, but we don't have a lot of you know. There's not a lot of specifics in in the, in scripture to tell us what's what. You know, maybe maybe some of the historical accounts from like Josephus and the Maccabees and things like that, but. I still don't think there's a lot that we have like that would identify them specifically as priests, but um, it definitely is. I mean, and I, and I agree with the, the author of the question. Like, I don't, I don't, I've read Acts six numerous times too, and skipped over verse seven almost every time. Um, Cause it's just like, Oh yeah, sorry. The and some priests became obedient to the faith too. That's awesome. Um, praise God for that. But as far as who and how many, we don't know. Yep. It is a, it is a fun thing to think about and talk about those. So thank you. Thank you for that question. It's very interesting. Yes. All right. Well, that uh, wraps it up for another episode of Let's Read the Bible. Aaron, I believe your uh, your quarantine is up by the time we have to record again, right? So we'll yes, be... yes. My uh, my ten days is coming uh, to an end in the next. I think I'm six days in right now. So okay. um, by the time we record again, I'll be we'll be live and in person one more time. I'll be able to see your face, not just on a computer screen. So yeah, good, good deal. <laughs> <laughs>
but if this uh, podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to uh, financially support the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can do that by going to our website, grove.church, and clicking on the Give button. Uh, and also, we want to remind people that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we are not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can te- check out uh, our archive of all of our episodes of this podcast, as well as previous messages and our Life and Limb blog. This week's contributor is Jen Irving, who had a great... No, Megan Monterosa. Sorry. I didn't mean to slander Megan just then. So Megan wrote this week's blog. It was really good. So give it uh, give it a read. But with that being said, uh, thank you all for joining us. Have a great day. Bye.